Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, emotional health, physical health and psychological health awareness in men, women and society. First it started with man, acronym M-A-N, then it went to men. Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? Hello. Hi everybody, um, my my name's Zara Butt and I am a boxing coach. Zara Butt, the boxing coach. Zara, where are you in the world right now? So I'm actually in the United Kingdom and to be more specific, I'm in a town called Nottingham which is more famous for being um, known as Robin Hood County. So if any of you are aware and have heard of the legend of Robin Hood, um, we're not too close from where he used to rob the rich to feed the poor. Right. And, and I hear there's a, there's a famous, famous football ground. Or oh, two. There's two famous football ground in Nottingham. I mean, I think apparently one of them's the oldest. Can you, do, you know, do you know those two clubs? I know them indeed, and I've driven and um, I've walked past them and also done some boat trips um, around there. So uh, the first one is the Nottingham Forest Ground, um, which is based uh, just off... Actually, both of the clubs are based really close to each other, and you can actually see them from one and the other. And the other one is um, Nottingham City Football Club. Yeah, Notts County Football Club. Yeah, Nottingham County. Not County. Yes, not County. Can you tell I'm a city girl? <laughs> um, <laughs> they're not County football. I, I know nothing football. I really don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm aware of Ronaldo. That's because my son's obsessed with him and Messi. Yeah. And Mo Salah, of course, um, because he's a great famous player and he's Muslim, of course. Yeah. So he's, he's somebody that um, I'm aware of. Yeah. But apart from that, I really absolutely know nothing about <laughs> football, and I've got a couple of friends who are avid Liverpool supporters. And when they die, they want to be cremated and the ashes to be scattered all over Anfield. So that's all I'm aware of. Really, because, really. Um, they really. talk about it all the time. Really, really, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, not scoundy. Yeah, any of you guys have not heard? Um, not actually. There's a connection there. Notts County is the oldest, it's supposed to be the one of the oldest football clubs in, it's actually the oldest football club in the world. Um, and oh, wow. and Notts County's twin, which they got the colours from, is Juventus. And Juventus is where Ronaldo is oh. actually playing. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, that's no how, yeah, that's how Juventus got the colours because they, they, they played against Notts County years ago and they got their colours which were black and white. So, and you, and um, Ronaldo actually plays for you. Juventus right now so good connection even though you didn't quite realise yeah <laughs> yeah sorry about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> said like a true woman who knows something about football <laughs> and some men actually got to, got to like support the not to support the you know the typical uh, you know the stereotype that women know nothing about football because yeah, yeah. two of my friends two of my closest friends um, one supports Forest religiously she's yeah. got a season ticket and she watches every match she takes her children with her and she's yeah. always saying to me come along and um come watch forest play it'd be really good to catch up with you and i'm like i'd rather go to the spa and see you in the spa so then that, that <laughs> the day out you know watching football really doesn't do much for me i did actually say to her it's on my 
bucket list of things to do. Yeah, you should. And the other one of my friends is the crazy one that supports Anfield. So after this lockdown, I have actually said to us, like, can we actually go and watch a football match? Because I'd actually like to do it, especially now the weather's nicer as well. Yeah, you should. You should go and just go and just see what it's like. And, um, you know, you might, you never know, you might, you might enjoy it. You might enjoy, you know, you'd be, by the, you know, the atmosphere and everything, you might, you might enjoy it. We'll see. So, you're in Nottingham. Uh, What's the weather I, like today? It's beautiful. It's really nice. The sun's out. It's about 24 degrees. The weather's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's sunny and it really makes you feel happy. Makes you want to go out and um, get your lockdown walk done and dusted and out the way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, you're enjoying Nottingham. Have you always lived in Nottingham? Is that your home? I have, I have. I did live in South Asia for a year. Yeah. Um, and I've travelled quite a fair bit, but I've always lived in Nottingham, born and raised. And um, who knows? Um, who knows what the second half of my life is going to bring? So let's see. Let's see what happens next. Yeah. So let's let's talk about um, your kind of journey, mental health, and what you what you see as mental health, and what's your what's your thoughts on mental health, and just all the things that um, encompass, uh, you know, how we live as you know how we're living as humans. Because the the podcast really is about connecting people. For myself, I think it's such a shame that we still have this taboo still connected to mental health. And in my opinion, everybody has mental health. Um, you know, we all that that feeling of when you wake up in the morning and you're feeling fine, you're feeling good, that is your mental health. Yeah. Those moments when you're not feeling well and you're feeling sad, that's your mental health. You know, that those moments when you're feeling joy, that's your mental health. And I don't think people really understand the meaning of the word still. I think there's still a, a huge um, gap with certain people. I mean, obviously there are people out there who are, who are well experienced and versed and they understand it, but I still do feel that largely in some communities, especially um, BAMA communities, we still don't have that full understanding. And if people do say something about their mental health, you know, they are, they are slightly afraid to speak up and out about it because you, you get labelled as being crazy or mad or you've yeah. lost the plot. You know, those negative connotations still do come into um, the conversation. And I think um, mental health is something that affects every single one of us daily. It's something that can affect children, adults, every single one of us, man, woman. It doesn't matter how you recognise yourself, what you what your age is or what your background and your ethnicity is but we're all affected by it and I think especially now living in a world which is really really fast-paced um which has so much stuff going on all the time we're constantly on our phones you know you if you're working you're still accessing your emails when you're back home there is no break you have to put those structures in place to make sure that you're okay yeah yeah and I think uh, um for me, my personal journey, I suffered from postnatal depression and anxiety. And it was really difficult because I was very young when I had my son. Um, you know, I got married at 20. I was just, just under 24 when I had him. Yeah. 
and it was difficult because I didn't really understand much. I was so much of a child and I still had so much learning to do about my own self. Yeah. And I loved him to bits, but what I couldn't understand was why I just felt so overwhelmed and why it was it was so difficult and I was crying. And I think looking back, these are all things that, which are fairly normal for a young mum to feel or any mum, it doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. You know, children don't come with a guidebook and you know, it's lovely when you when you've got someone else's child and you're playing with them and you're hugging them and then they cry. You pass them over to the mum and you don't see that side of it as much. You know, as yeah. when you're looking after other people's children, when it's your own children, you've got to get up in the middle of the night and do all those, you know, feeds. You know, every hour I used to wake up with him and the feeds and then like you know, the nappy changes and it was just it was hard work. It was really hard work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so. it did affect me. I found it very difficult. I was young. I had my friends going out and enjoying themselves. And here I was with a baby, really thinking I was doing an awful job when I actually was doing pretty well. And I think that's what's made my journey into mental health right from a very young age has made it a journey in which maybe I feel that I've lost out on a lot of moments in life. But it's also been a journey in which if I hadn't had um, postnatal depression, anxiety, I wouldn't have gotten into boxing. Yeah, so um, when I had my son, my second one, um, I knew that I would experience all those things again and I possibly would feel quite overwhelmed by it. But I wasn't. I was well looked after and um, I knew what all my triggers were. So I'd learned by then to sort of manage or have an understanding of my mental health. Yeah. And... You know, as it is with when you, you have a child, your body changes, you gain weight, you have all these weird cravings, you know, you, you don't have that time to give to yourself as you possibly may have done before so. So I gained weight after I had my, my son and um, I was really in a dark place. I was very unhappy because I didn't feel like I was that person who I used to be. Yeah. And um, I started exercising at home. And my brothers bought me a cross trainer. I've lived for two years. It was just sat in the TT room, you know, with the washing hanging over it, toys or whatever put on or in and yeah, around yeah, yeah. it. It was just sat there. Yeah. And actually, it was really bizarre because I actually started this in uh, Ramadan. So it was yeah. it was in Ramadan that this all started, which some people might think is a re really strange time for you to start exercising. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to make time for myself. And every day, as well as taking time out spiritually, I'm going to look after myself physically because that's what I'm... I should be doing as a good Muslim and as trying to be healthy and everything else. So I just literally started going on my cross train for like half an hour. Well, it wasn't even half an hour. I think the first time I was so unfit, it was literally like 10, 15 minutes. But afterwards, after I'd gotten over the initial phase of, I think I'm going to die, I'm going to pass out, somebody yeah, call yeah. in ambulance. Yeah. I actually felt really, really good. I was like, this is great. I've never really felt like this. And I wasn't expecting it. And at that time, I did know nothing about like the science behind it, you know, the endorphins being released and how yeah, great yeah. it makes you feel. Yeah. And literally, to from I literally just built it up, and I and I think through that Ramadan, I just literally exercised religiously, and I lost about I think I lost about a stone or something like that, ridiculous like that. I can't, can't even remember how much I lost. And people started noticing. They were like, "Oh, you look really well. What have you been doing?" And I was like, it's really bizarre because every time I feel my anxiety is coming, I just go on my cross trainer and it, it's like medicine. It yeah. just sorts me out. Yeah. And I feel light, like my shoulders, which might be tight and clenched up, they feel really relaxed. If I've got any thoughts in my head, I kind of have them worked out by the time I've stopped. And I feel really great. So that's how I got into exercise. 
And as you know, like running on a machine or exercising on a machine is great, but you get bored of it. Yeah, yeah. And I soon got bored of it. I was like, this is so monotonous. I'm doing it again all the time and I'm doing it at home. And I just, just really feel like I need to do something different. Um, and I'm I'm the only daughter, so I've got brothers. Yeah. And um, I sort of spoke to my brothers. I was like, what do, I, what do you think I should do? They were like, oh, if you want something challenging, try out boxing. So I was like, okay, that sounds like a really interesting thing. I've seen boxing and it looks like a lot of fun as well as, you know, the whole, like, it looks like a good sport. It looks, looks like it would be quite challenging for me to do. Yeah. And um, my brother rang um, his coach and asked if I could come down to meet him. And I went down and I could see clearly on his face, he was thinking, oh, God, this girl's come. And as she's walked in, like, you know, wearing high heels, nails done, face done. <laughs> and he actually said this to me. He was like, I thought you were going to break a nail and go crying outside. And, that, and he was really kind of like, oh, God, like, you know, when you know that somebody is doing something because they know the person they have to, they can't say no as a one-off favour. Yeah, yeah. It happened like that. So I went in and literally for, like, we didn't speak like literally I just went in and I got changed or whatever else and um, he thought I was really I was going to be quite spoiled and I wouldn't listen or whatever so he had all these like images of how he expected me to be because he knew I was the only girl yeah. and he just looked at me took you know presumed stuff as we do as human beings which is really really quite normal yeah. so I went in and he was just like saying you know do this do skipping and I hadn't skipped man since I was in primary school so yeah, it yeah, was yeah, hard yeah. I was yeah. like skipping and mirroring your mind if you're a woman and you've had children you know as soon as you start skipping like it's like oh no I need to go to the toilet I need to go to the <laughs> toilet so. yeah yeah <laughs> so it was it was quite funny our first few sessions were and then um that in that session whatever he told me to do I did it because I knew I, I could see in his eyes that he thought I couldn't do this yeah, yeah. so for me it was more like right I'm going to prove you wrong you think as a woman I can't do whatever you're going to set me to do and I might find it really really difficult but I'm not going to give up I'm going to carry on doing everything and I did and then about I think it was 45 minutes into the session he actually spoke to me and he was like oh you're really good you know you're better than your brothers he's like you're stronger than your brothers as well and I was yeah, like oh yeah, okay yeah. thank you yeah. and he's like your brother normally runs out and um, he hates the circuit training part and he goes, he often like does the sparring when it comes to circuit training. He'll quickly like um, slide out the boxing gym and nobody, hopefully yeah. nobody will notice. Yeah. And he goes, but you've just gotten on, you've done everything. He goes, I'd, I'd like to train you. And I was like, thank you very much. And and I said, oh yeah, I could tell in your eyes that you thought I wasn't going to do it. And he goes, yeah, I did think that you were going to be the type of girl that would, you know, uh, run, uh, get out of breath or break an air and you'd be like oh I can't do this anymore because I didn't think you were going to last one session with me and I pushed you really hard yeah. so it kind of started from there and um, we went on from from training one day a week to training three days a week and then um, I wanted to get into running so we'd go to um, Bulletin Park which is a really famous park in Nottingham yeah. my, me, uh, my trainer and his wife and we would go and do like a 5-10k run first and then we would go for an hour and do boxing afterwards. And it was it was a fantastic time. I absolutely loved it. I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about my mental health. And from there, I thought, you know what? If this can change me, like at school, I was the last person to get picked on um, a sports team. It was yeah. me and my friend Mel. Like, nobody wanted us. And we were like, yeah. oh, you know, which, li which liability do you want? It was literally like, we we'd hate it. I wasn't like... Um, a naturally sporty person um, 
So if somebody like me, who is literally like a couch potato, not not somebody who's into sports naturally, could actually gain so much through the sport of boxing, I wanted to bring that up and I wanted to support more women. And I've, I've always worked in the voluntary sector. Yeah. So I knew it was needed. I knew it would be appreciated. And I started doing... Um, I qualified. The only reason I qualified as a boxing coach was because we as a club didn't have um, a female boxing coach, yeah. and I wanted to set up classes at the um, at the local uh, women's centre, so Nottingham Women's Centre. And I went in and I met the manager, and she's like, "Yeah, lovely. We'd love to start classes." And I was like, "Okay, so can my coach, who's a male, come in?" And I come in with me, and they were like, no, that's not our protocol. Yeah. No men in the building, you know this. Yeah. I was like, well, how's it going to happen? <laughs> and um, I was like, well, we're going to have to find somebody who can get to do the lessons. And my coach was like, no, I know somebody. You're going to go. You're going to go, and you're going to get you're going to get the qualification. And I went, and I was so nervous. I think I went. It was a four day course. Uh, two weekends it's a little over and yeah. I was so nervous I wasn't confident at all I didn't think I had the ability about the technique for me it was always like I want to get fit this is what I want to do and I felt I needed another year or so to really learn more about the techniques I knew what I felt was a little bit what other people felt was it they felt it was enough but I passed the um, qualification and um, the coaches in in Derby where I qualified um, absolutely amazing people they really gave me so much time and they kept on saying to me you can do this you can do this you just need to stop believing in yourself so it was really nice to have people support me through the process yeah um, and it just started from there so um, I started my own women's classes and I because I'd worked in the sector for so long I was a girl from Nottingham born and bred from the community I already had really great links there um, and people felt safe coming to the classes they knew it would be a, a safe non-judgmental um, space safe space for them yeah and that's how I got into delivering the um, classes of for women with the box fit classes for women but as soon as I started I really straight away I learned it wasn't um, it wasn't about the physical element like it wasn't the sports side of doing the classes it was more like the emotional element the mental health side of it yeah. that women needed that support with and I felt like I was doing so much coaching all the time like life coaching supporting people and you know finding that self-belief and it was never just a fitness class it was yeah. always a lot more um you know I did one-to-one -one sessions with women and I would learn so that you know they would disclose so much information so many things that they hadn't even told anybody and I think I was training I'd had one client who I'd been training and I could tell she wasn't her usual self and halfway through the session she just broke down and she told me I've just found out I've got breast cancer um I haven't mentioned it to my family my husband is the only one that knows and my daughter's doing her GCSEs and it's a really really difficult time for me yeah so, um, you know, straight away, um, we sat down, we spoke, uh, we put together a plan just to help her manage her own um, emotional well-being and her health through her treatment for breast cancer. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's literally 
a friend. Now we'll be friends for life. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But it's doing those small little things like checking up on people, seeing if they're okay, um, ensuring that they've got all the support they need, that they don't feel isolated, um, and that they've got somebody there that they can listen to or call um, any time of the day or night should they should they need that help. And I guess it got me more involved in on the mental health platform. And because of my own lived experience, my own journey with it, I've always been super interested and dedicated and wanted to help other people and women especially, um, women who are experiencing, you know, domestic abuse, um, honour-based abuse, things yeah. like that. So it's it just started from there and I started delivering my own courses on, um, you know, confidence building, how to feel great about yourself, how to be healthy. So we did, we did, we integrated the boxing with mental health, and we we, we ran so many, we've run so many courses, um, and at the moment, the latest one that I'm doing is um, a series of podcasts for women yeah. who who've experienced um, mental health issues, and they'd like a platform to just discuss how they're feeling because often when you're going through things. You can feel quite isolated. You feel as if there's nobody really out there who understands you, or yeah, yeah. sometimes you've learned from that experience and you want to leave that message behind so other people can feel motivated and empowered listening to you. Definitely. Um, so there's one, um, obviously, with this whole Corona lockdown, it's been a bit of a shame because we'd, we'd almost finished our first series of podcasts and we're moving on to the second second cohort of students. And there's a woman there, um, and she's in the fifties and she's from a South Asian background and after she got a divorce and whatever else she's gone and she's travelled the whole world um, and she wants to share what she's learned about herself about her own journey and what it's been like to travel alone as a woman all across the world yeah, yeah. so um, it's capturing those moments she's like I want to leave this behind because I'm 50 if I don't share my story now where else will I share it and I want I want it to be recorded I want it to be journaled so should my family or anybody else want to listen to it, they can do. Yeah. And we give the options of anonymous, anonymous anonymity as well. So if people do want to remain anonymous, they can do. They want to attach their name to what they, they can do. So it's all about making sure that they have a space where they can share their experiences yeah. and their messages and their journeys, but ensuring that they're okay at the same time as well. Yeah. So you you want to, you, in a sense then, really, we've, you want to have seen all... You must have foreseen all this coming because you kind of went into to it to to kind of help yourself, um, and in yeah. and in some respects you're still helping yourself, aren't you? You still you, these you, you went you went from one coping strategy, which was um, being on the exercise bike, and it's kind of taking you on a journey of different coping strategies, um, and you helping others is part of that kind of journey. Would you say? Absolutely. It's, um, <clears throat> excuse me. It was like what we were saying um, before we started recording. I, I really believe that when you help other people, you're healing your own self and you're learning about your own self. And I think for me, it, it was about me finding my purpose. And I know what my purpose is. My purpose is to help other women out there who are experiencing mental health and well-being issues, who have experienced domestic abuse, um, stalking, coercive control, all these things that I've experienced in my own journey. I want to support other people. And if it wasn't for my boxing, I wouldn't have had those platforms. You know, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to go out and deliver huge seminars and talk to professionals um, 
on on those capacities i wouldn't have been able to spread the message and become an activist it's given me it's made it easier for me to reach out and speak to people and educate them through the work that i've been doing so it's it's really been a, a big gift for me and we had um there's a charity called harmless nottingham they had their very first um a seminar on suicide prevention and they asked um they wanted to capture women who'd um who'd experienced mental health or who or you know they were trying to capture the strength of women and women and womanhood and i was featured um as the lead image for that for that campaign yeah. and it was just brilliant just to be there and it's just a really simple picture of me with my hijab on just holding up my boxing gloves and funnily enough we actually took this picture in the car park outside of work yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know it was just amazing the way the way that you know the um um thomas the uh, photographer the way we did it and it was just brilliant um you know to be part of a bigger project and it's just an image for me i do a lot of most of my stuff is done on a voluntary basis but it yeah. was if it, my image empowers other people and makes people think and breaks that stereotypes of of women and how women are from south asian backgrounds or how muslim women are if that's what it does and it opens up a dialogue for me that's my job done i feel like i've fulfilled my purpose yeah yeah definitely and so if you if we kind of kind of go back to the postnatal and and the things growing you know the things that you've been through what are some of the things that you know that kind of you prize what you know growing up for you as as a child did did you have um was there something was the ambitions there what, what was this something what was growing up for you like oh so my childhood was absolutely amazing my parents are the most lovely kind caring people you could ever meet and they're the most loved up like they're the perfect couple relationship goal couple that's my mum and dad so our childhood was fantastic um dad was really hard working and um he within his own self is um a pioneer for what he's done um in his own career so my dad i think my dad was like a very positive role model for me and i've always been really really ambitious i've always wanted to do stuff i've always wanted to make a difference and i've always been very confident and i've always been able to articulate my emotions and speak and talk so i think that for me was the foundation of who i am now and i think then having issues with my mental health that was around i think I feel as a as a as a as a individual as humans we have mental health issues when we aren't able to be we're not able to be who we want to be so if there is like this urge that say for example if like deep down you really want to do a write be a writer but in your day job you're um I don't know like a mechanic yeah so that you know and you're doing it and it's not fulfilling your purpose it's not fulfilling your your inner soul it's not making you happy so you're sat there going to work every single day and you hate it you know you turn up you do your thing but deep down you're not happy because it's not fulfilling your purpose and you're scared to leave that job because it brings you an income it, it provides you that security financial security it provides your family emotional security because you're getting everything done that they need but you're not happy as an individual so situations like that are going to lead to you 
to feeling depressed and you know not feeling great about yourself however you know if you slowly slowly take those steps to perhaps incorporate a bit of writing into your day yeah. into your week into your lifestyle doing that small thing will make you feel better about yourself and eventually perhaps you will be at a place where you think you know what actually this is something that I'd like to follow full time and I don't want to go do my regular day job or it might be that you feel you know what actually that part of me my soul is full, feeling fulfilled because I've spent um, I spend 30 minutes a day or I do it once a week or I'm learning more about writing poetry I'm experimenting more about my technique so you feel fulfilled so I think for me my depression and everything else was because I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I felt I had more to do in in life um, than I was actually doing at the time. Yeah, yeah. So your your thoughts on things like um, domestic violence um, and people people you've come across. I mean, you know, you know, my mum was a victim of domestic violence. What's what's your your overall, you know, thoughts on that? Wow, um, I think it's a huge question that you've asked. Um, I think domestic abuse is something that we we aren't taking seriously as a society because it leads to so many of the problems, so many of the problems, and not just for the woman who experiences, for the children that are involved in those circumstances. And if it's a man, you know, for everyone related whoever are in the, the circumstances because abuse is statistically um a crime against women however men also do suffer from domestic yeah, abuse as well and we have to remember we have to remember that in in these conversations that it's important to address those issues as well and um and i think it's sad i think it's um really really sad where people have to get down and be in a place where they feel that they can only validate their own self-worth is is by breaking somebody else down and by abusing them, whether it's with their words or whether it's physically, emotionally, financially, sexually. Yeah. I think it's it, it, there are underlying reasons, and we need. And again, a lot it all goes back to your mental health. So there is a strong link between mental health and domestic abuse. Whether you're the survivor, the victim, the perpetrator, I feel more work needs to be done on recognizing these things. And again, I feel it's still such a taboo um you know if you go outside and i worked for a charity uh, a domestic abuse charity and if we did a campaign and we took to the streets and we went out saying you know hey we're collecting money for domestic abuse people would walk past us but if we were saying oh you know what i'm cle- uh, collecting for cancer people would gladly drop you know some pennies in the box yeah. so there still is a huge stigma attached to people don't actually want to admit that domestic abuse still goes on or perhaps they don't want to reflect upon the effects that the, perhaps certain traits that we have within ourselves are toxic, that aren't right, that are abusive. So um, I think there's a huge stigma still attached to domestic abuse and a lot of work needs to be done. I think there needs to be more work done in terms of the amount of funding that charities are given, the amount of awareness that we need to do internationally and law, law enforcement, such a huge topic, a, a topic and all the, the courts and the judicial system as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you do end up in circumstances when you do have to go 
to the police you have to go through the court system it's really terrifying it's not easy um a lot of the times nobody really knows what's going on we have frontline officers who come to the houses of you know women or men and they don't know actually how to um handle the situation correctly so they might have as a woman they, the woman will be there and they might be speaking to the her in the kitchen and the perpetrator you know her partner would be in the hallway who could clearly hear stuff so it's the small things like that that's still happening that we need to address yeah and you know we have law enforcement frontline officers who don't even know what court orders are they don't understand the meaning of them they they, they have had no training so i'm not blaming them i'm blaming the fact that there's still not enough um training and understanding going on and then if we take it one step further if you're going into um a bema situation where you know there's a lot of people frontline officers still don't really know how to handle those situations like what are they doing how is things like honor-based abuse and coercive control prevalent in these circumstances what's actually going on here yeah yeah so there's still still a lot, lot lots of work to be done and by no means am i undermining the work that we are currently doing because there are some fantastic charities and um small organizations that are doing substantial work yeah. um my thing is that we still don't seem to be doing enough yeah and we've got huge gaps in our services as well yeah so you you're finding that um because you know i've spoken to people about domestic you know domestic violence and and, and mental health and things like that and i like say there's there's this now there's this there's this thing about men um and some some of the things that have occurring with men is um um you know it's the me- you know women have always said you know what's most dangerous is the what's most cutting in a sense is the 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 emotional side um the the hitting okay the hitting thing but the the emotional side is what what really cuts the cuts the deepest and you know what's happening yeah what I've, you know what people have said to me about men is that um uh, you know for people out there listening is that for a lot of a lot of women now are getting you know you know getting um, you know, more you know, it might be the partners, and the partners getting a high-paid job, or the person's out of work, or whatever. And then the partners hitting them with, and it's, when I say hitting them, I mean coming at them with, um, "I'm getting paid more than you," or, um, and then you know that that abuse starts to kick in. So there's a lot to, like you said, there's a lot of training that needs to take place. And do you do you would you do you find then that you, for the, those, yeah, like say let's say the police force, or you know police force would you say that it would be it would be ideal for them to have somebody come on and speak come come along with them when a a domestic violence um situation occurs someone who knows about what's happening someone like yourself who may know about it to tack to bring you along to that certain situation so i guess in theory it would be a great idea if we could have like independent domestic violence advocates um go along but the, the issue is that there's so many cases every single day on a strategic way, there was no way that they can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think the best thing is for that training to occur so they know how to handle it. So they know that they're working in partnership. Um, I think the issue is, again, with frontline services is that they're so overwhelmed. They've got so much going on that it's just another job for them. So it's just quickly like, let's go here. What have I done? What do I need to do? All right tick a couple of boxes job done let's move on to the next one yeah 
and when they visit you they've got the best of intentions and they're like yeah we'll update you we'll let you know what's going on but once they get back out there you're, you're just another number you're just another person you're just yeah. another thing that they need to do so it's the whole thing of changing it and and i do believe that um the, if we educate more about it it will help them there's this whole um mentality that seems to be prevalent is with victim blaming so if a woman is still with a man oh well why haven't you left him if he's so bad you're complaining he's doing all these things to you why don't you leave him it's not as easy as that there's so many layers yeah, onto it definitely. there's so many responsibilities that are there and you know say for example the example you use where the man is the breadwinner or he earns more than the woman yeah. you know things like finances are a huge huge reason it's not yeah, easy definitely um it's not easy at all and i think during covid19 that the police have done an absolutely fantastic thing where they're saying right we're going to remove the perpetrators from the house so if you are experiencing domestic violence at the moment if you call the police they won't be removing because traditionally what they've done is they the woman has to leave with the children and now they're saying well actually no why should a woman have to leave with all of her children yeah, exactly. in the middle of the night and pick up a few things exactly. where it's easy just to remove that one person. Exactly. It's like logical thing. Yeah, like, exactly. It's actually been what happened in the first place. Um, you know, and the onus still is put onto women. So, like, you know, if you're being harassed and stalked, it's like, oh, well, why are you on that road? You know, why do you use a totally different way? Well, I would, but perhaps this is the only way home or I'm just driving here and it's a shortcut and I need to get to where I'm going. Like, yeah. why... Why do I have to change everything I do? Why can't he just stop behaving in the way that he's behaving? Yeah. So I think there's there's a whole thing, and it's like you know when women are, um, you know, raped and stuff. It's like, oh, what were you wearing? What were you doing there? Yeah. You know, we need to stop thinking like that. We actually need to look at whoever is the abuser and look at them and think like, why are you doing this? You know, you need to stop. We need to talk about. We need to have those conversations. Yeah. And what was what was your um, experience. You, you, you spoke about being stalked. What was your experience about um, stalking? So I can't really go yeah, much into it at the yeah, moment yeah. for legal um, reasons. Yeah. But um, what was it, that like for you? That man, kind uh, of mental health. What was that? What was your mental health like when that was actually happening? In a sense, absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. Absolutely, it's, it's like being the worst experience that I've had in my life. Um, you're fearful, you don't know what's going on. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink. I think I literally lost like a, a stone in weight within like a week because yeah. of all the stress. Um, it was absolutely horrible. I couldn't leave the house. Um, I felt, I knew I was being watched, I knew I was being followed. I had phone calls, um, going to family, friends, um, making threats towards me, accusations. Um, I was being, uh, you know, I was having calls and texts and whatever myself. Yeah. And I was, I wasn't scared for my own life, but I was scared for my children's children, lives yeah. and my loved ones. Yeah. You know, I knew whoever it was. Like, obviously, you are scared for yourself, but when you're, you're a parent, you're more worried about your children and the impact it's going to have upon their lives. And I was doing my classes at the time, so. Um, when I did go to the police, they put all of my um, venues for my classes on high alert. They put my children's schools on high alert. So if, God forbid, anything did actually happen, the response would be quicker. So they were aware of what was going on. Um, so it's been um, it's been a very difficult journey. Yeah. It's been a very, very difficult journey and it impacts your mental health substantially. You feel like you can't trust anybody. You don't want to talk to anyone. Um, 
you literally become a prisoner within your own home and like your life is so restricted as it is anyway yeah and then when things like this lockdown occur it makes you feel further further more isolated than everybody else perhaps may may is feeling because you you're already living in a very small world yeah yeah so yeah. you know it makes it it makes it worse yeah it makes it much much worse than it actually needs to be yeah so your your um you you know you you you've had you know anxiety you've had depression and you know postnatal um, experiences what was your what was your mo- what was that moment like what what for you was a moment for you that said um i'm going to you know the, the exercise bike and all that so what what was that moment like for you to kind of recognize oh you know what I'm, I'm gonna do this what was that like for you what was that empowering moment like for you oh so i think the most empowering moment would be for me the pivotal moment was when i when i decided to go to the um to the boxing to train as a qualify as a boxing coach yeah and i was teaching at the time and i was like well i'm not going back to teaching i've been off on maternity leave and it doesn't fulfill me doesn't make me happy and i want to do something else so everyone else's opinions were like why are you going to leave such a good good job like you know good profession and get yourself into t- into something like boxing. I mean, women don't box. It's not like the most, you know. Why would you want to do that? It's such a rough sport to do. And you know, you and I, even like after I qualified, I'd, I'd have people say, "Oh, Zara, but you're so lovely. You're so nice. Like you're a boxing coach. Like why do you do that?" And it was just don't damage your nails. The stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, no. Um, opportunities don't come again and again and i felt that a lot of the decisions i'd made in my life were for everyone else and um i knew that i couldn't go on doing things for other people and not being happy within myself and i knew i had to do it for myself yeah so against everybody's wishes in true zara style um i went <laughs> and i i uh, I went, I signed up and I qualified and um, I've actually got like a little bracelet and I wear it all the time Yeah. and it's got the date that I qualified um, engraved on it Right. and it's one of, one of the most happiest moments of my life apart from having my children Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was literally, I think looking back, it literally was the start of a rebirth, it was like I was starting my life all over again. Yeah. And it was, you know, I still feel I'm on that journey and I've now discovered who I am and what my purpose is and yeah. what I'd like to do. But it was the start of it. Yeah. And on, on my birthday, I qualified in September and I was like, I'm going to do my first class yeah. on my birthday to mark the start of, of this for me. Yeah. And it's been fantastic. Um, you know, my stalking obviously started because I was a boxing coach and what I was doing. Right. Um. So it's all interlinked to what happened, but I wouldn't change it as horrible as it's been. Yeah. It's an absolute nightmare. I wouldn't change it because if all those things hadn't have happened, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Yeah. I wouldn't have found out about my own resilience and my own well-being. My children, um, I've got three children and they're absolutely fantastic. They understand about mental health. They understand what it's about. Um, we have this thing where we talk as a team 
about everything like you know whatever happens we sit down we make decisions together I don't enforce any decisions upon myself like it's Ramadan now and um, my eldest he's fasting my younger two I didn't even ha- I didn't ask them like are you going to fast they were like well we've decided we want to have like a little mini fast yeah and they got up this morning and you know they had their morning um morning breakfast and they 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 did it out of their own will I don't believe in forcing people to do anything I think if you if you can be the model a role model for people and people want to do something for you then that's that's the way it should be um and I think it's a different way of raising children and living as opposed to you know what perhaps our traditional lifestyles and our elders have kind of done they've kind of followed their own techniques and their own journeys but I think now as like a third generation Asian we've got a, a mix of the best of both cultures I've adapted the best of the western culture the best of the South Asian culture and I've brought them together and um, my children are my biggest supporters I've had moments where I've been hesitant to take on speaking projects or go to, go and do things and um, I remember you. once I was oh gosh I remember once I think my son was only a teen I think he was probably thinking how long ago it was. So he probably would have been like 14, 15 years old. And I was going and I'm like, should I go? Shouldn't I go? Should I go to this event? You know, what will people think? What will they talk about? What we have, no one's going to approve of this. What should I do? And my son was like, stop being a girl and be a woman. Like, get up, get changed and go. He goes like, don't do it on this one. He goes, you go and live your life. He goes, whatever you do in life, there are always going to be people who won't be happy about it. Because you tell us to do what makes us happy. You go out and do what makes you happy. And I was just literally like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've just been coached by my son. I was like, literally that moment when you know that, you know, you've installed some decent decent morals and beliefs and values in them as a parent and yeah, I'm just yeah. like yeah you know what you're right and I'm going to stop acting like a child and I'm going to get up and I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to go yeah. and I went I went and I, I spoke um, on a panel in Derby um, it was at Derby City Council and it was fantastic I really enjoyed it I took my daughter with her because it was for, it was International Women's Day and, um, event and she absolutely enjoyed it and it was a really nice um outing for both of us but again when you're being stalked and you you don't feel safe about what you're doing it makes those smallest things really really difficult to do because you're constantly worried and looking over your back and thinking you know even though you know that you're not doing anything wrong you're constantly hyper vigilant and stressed and thinking what's going to happen what if someone turns up i can't put this out there on any social media um, that I'm doing this type of stuff because somebody will know where I am and it, then it puts me in risk. It puts, if I take my children along, it puts them in risk as well. So yeah. it was just, um, it, it was, it's been difficult. It's been really, really difficult. And I feel that a lot of opportunities I've had that have come my way, I've declined them because I don't want that attention on what I'm doing, even though everything's on social media at the moment. Yeah. I, I say, I, I generally do tend to avoid and say no to um, things simply because of what's happened. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, that's that's that protective thing in you, and um, that's protective thing in you from, you you know, having your ch- children and also a protective thing for yourself and your family. Um, how does how does your, um, your mum and dad feel about you boxing? Oh, so this is really interesting. Initially, they were like, what on earth is she doing? Yeah. 
Um, and I think like the other day I was like showing my dad my, uh, it was actually because I was showing my dad my LinkedIn profile and he kind of like raised his eyebrows. So <laughs> I think he's had to accept it, yeah. <laughs> not wanting to, but they've accepted it. Um, and I think with, with regards to their attitude, they've done a real 360 on it from disapproving and totally not accepting it, not liking it. They've really come to understand um, what I'm doing and to accept and value it. And I think that's been because the more stuff I've done, like people have come back and said positive things and supported me and said, you know, how 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 um, good they found and how things that I've done have helped them. And I think um, my mum and my godmother. Um, so my godmother's Irish, yeah. and um, she's she's been an absolute growing up. She was my rock. Um, and I've always been blessed. I was full of, she's like a second mum to me. Um, and they came, my mum and my godmother came along to um, a session, a ladies' class that I was doing. And there were 70 women and children there. So I think seeing that was a huge pivotal point um, for my mum to see, you know, how much fun we were having and how happy all the other girls were and understanding why I'm doing it. So um, my dad initially when I when I was at my fittest and you know I was like I 24-7 in the gym my dad would actually cook food for me and he'd cook um Pakistani food and he'd bring it over yeah, yeah. and he'd be like you need to eat you've got anorexia and I was like dad I don't I haven't got anorexia I follow like a special meal plan it was cool and he's like no 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 and he'd like sit there like you know literally with tears in his eyes he's like I'm not going until you've eaten this I know you're starving yourself like, yeah, yeah, yeah. starving myself I don't eat I don't eat certain foods anymore so he'd come over and obviously now with so much stuff that's happened like I've gained some weight and my dad's like you need to hit the gym you need to stop walking <laughs> you need to exercise yeah, so he's, got, he's, he's, <laughs> you know, he's reversed and I'm like dad yeah I'm like dad um, you know what only if you'd done this when I you know when, when I was like really really fit because I would have appreciated it and he's like no 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 um, you need to lose weight but um, you've got to stop when I say so because you, you were too you were too skinny then you were too slim and I was like no dad I was really really fit I had yeah, really yeah. strong muscles and I had you know so it's it's really lovely that they've also been on a journey with me um, yeah. and they stood by me whether they've liked what I've done or not liked they have actually stood by me and I've got a lot of respect for my parents I wouldn't be who I was if it wasn't for them and I wouldn't have the values that I have if it wasn't for them yeah but again for them for them as second generation Pakistanis they've had to really look at things and understand and accept that times are changing and understand like why would somebody leave like a decent profession as teaching because if you're from a South Asian background you're supposed to be like a doctor dentist yeah, lawyer yeah, yeah. No, engineer no. I know if all else fails and become a teacher do you know what I mean it's yeah, like yeah. one of them ones yeah and um it was a different profession a different thing that I got myself into and they didn't understand it but they do now and um they're supportive yeah. of what I'm doing. What do you see then as the, in, in Nottingham, say, or Midlands, or this I say Nottingham, are the main um, is, is not issues or the main mental health problems? You know, what are the main things that people are struggling with? Wow, so a huge question. So I think at the moment people are struggling with poverty, living, living literally living in like people I think if you live abroad or whatever people think if you live in England there's no such thing as poverty I think there's so much poverty going on there's a lot of women who are by themselves raising children and families and they're really really struggling 
and it has an impact upon our emotional well-being. I think the fact that we have no youth clubs and youth centres to go now, yeah. um, we're seeing the effects of those generations who didn't have it. So yeah. there's a huge raise in crime, there's a huge raise in young people being out on the streets doing things that they perhaps wouldn't be doing if they'd had a place to go to. Yeah. So we're seeing the effects of that because, you know, like my, so it's also my eldest, his generation is the generation that doesn't have never had a youth centre or places to go to. Yeah. So we're seeing the effects of that. Again, domestic violence and abuse is on the rise, um, especially in this lockdown. It's not that the lockdown has made people abusive, it's the fact that people are living in circumstances where those relationships and the, the home environment isn't a safe environment and things are just heightening and escalating because before where you'd be going out to work or you'd be out the house doing things like that you're not you're stuck in a home together in very very difficult circumstances yeah so it's make, making things worse and i think the biggest issue we have is the fact that people the frontline services aren't realizing the effect of having um, early intervention and I think for me, mental health is all about early intervention. If we can intervene and provide people with counselling, with that support that they need at the start of their journey, it would help for, for, for before it gets escalates. Yeah. And I think another trend that I've seen, if you can call it that, um, is self-harm. Um, I think social media hasn't particularly helped with young people. Um, there's a lot. There's been an increase in self-harm and mental health issues with younger people, which I think perhaps somebody of our age groups that's growing up, we didn't really didn't see that. But the youngsters now are experiencing, um, you know, bullying and cyber cyber bullying as well, and self-harm has become really prevalent in mental health because of whilst you know we've worked, we've connected and so many positives have come out of it on the other side of the coin there's a lot of negatives that have come out of it so there's a lot of pressure on young people to look a certain way to behave a certain way to have a certain following to have a certain amount of likes which you know and I've got younger cousins and friends children they're all about likes I'm like that like is not going to make you happy you know if you put a picture and you you get 10 likes and they're like really upset about it I'm like what does what does that actually entail like you know if we're talking about this, the, the likes, what are they actually bringing to you? The likes mean nothing to you. You know, it's nothing. You need to be comfortable in who you are and what you are as a person. You don't need other people's validation to feel good about yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. we have some dislike in that as well. Yeah, and you know, I've got my, you know, I've got my thoughts on that. And you're right that um, social media is playing a massive part in 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 mental health of young people and. Or you know, and people are struggling with this perfect, what they see on Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Like people living this perfect life, and you have to dress a certain way, you have to have a certain lifestyle. If you haven't got this amount of money, and and if you don't have that money, you'll never be happy. You never have this if you're not happy. So you're right; it's playing a massive part in particularly in young people's lives, um, and and it's really struggling with it. Um, and you know, it seems to do with followers and likes. If someone does doesn't follow them or that someone stops following them is almost like a it's like the end of the world um and yeah absolutely and, and it's and it's really it's really a problem because i you know i've started to realize i, saw, I looked at the other day i thought likes and followers isn't that what messiahs had you know what, what people called messiahs they had followers and likes yeah, yeah. um and i think there's a there's a must be a clever marketing thing from the people of instagram and all these of twitter and all that's when they put followers 
because it's almost like you you're you're going after this person that you're following this person who's who's like a a, a demigod or a god of you know um some sort of messiah um so there's a kind of funny play on words there and maybe i need something i need maybe i need to look into it more but yeah so you're right and um so those are some of the things that are you recognizing then that people are more people coming forward in nottingham and, and the surrounding area recognizing that they, they're struggling with mental health yeah you are you noticing there's a trend Absolutely. of people coming forward <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a rise in. I do feel that there has been a change where it's a bit more, um, it's more acceptable to talk about your mental health issues and everything else. I think before um, people were more afraid. I'm not saying that the people aren't afraid now, so but I think people are more welcome and open to talk about having mental health issues and reaching out for help yeah. where they can do so. So there is there is specialist support available. Um, I mean. Again, it's restricted, isn't it? It's like you need counselling, but six weeks of free counselling on the NHS isn't really enough for anything because six weeks literally just gets you to touch the surface and get to know each other. Yeah, yeah. And it's all about whether that counsellor is good for you. There are some fantastic charities out there doing fantastic work, and you know, even now they're open and they're working hard um, to keep things going. Yeah. Yeah. have that support there um you know one thing I, I i think that we are doing well in nottingham and i'm sure it happens um in other places as well as we've got a lot of self-help groups yeah. so um you know there's lots of self-help groups out there who work independently um and they really are the bridge between um the doctors gps and hospitals um and they pick up people whether you know they have diabetes or cancer or mental health issues or you name it you know you can find a self-help group for literally anything and if yeah. you can't there's support available where you can find something there's a lot of online self-help groups as well um that are out there and they support um each other yeah even if it's just the daily things of like you know i'm struggling today i just need somebody to talk to to you know what treatments have you tried or oh, this work for you does that work for you i mean i actually um set up um a support group an online support group for women who had um endometriosis and polycystic ovaries right yeah and we still meet up we meet up we speak we've got a you know we've got a group and we speak we meet up um regularly um in different parts of, of the midlands um and get together and have like you know a meal or a day out together where we just get together and just talk and just make sure that everyone's okay and that's been it's been a fantastic journey I've met so many people doing that and I think also for me it's really important for me on my social media on my Instagram I follow and I, I will say how I'm feeling I don't present a highlight you know if I'm feeling and I'm struggling with something I will post about it if I'm reflecting about a past experience I will post about it I yeah. won't um shy away from it because I don't want people to look and think oh you've got such a perfect life yeah yeah exactly. um, because it isn't what you see what you see you don't see like you know you, you read stories where there are social um, bloggers and whatever and they're like, taking like 200 pictures to get the perfect image yeah yeah you don't see what they're going through no um and I always say to people, like, don't look at people's uh, social media because it's their highlight reel. You're not going to get to see the low light reel um, and, of you know, the story about what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. And for you then, what's what does your, your boxing coach, you're an advocate for mental health, or advocate for women, you know, you spoke about, just even then you mentioned something else with the, what's, what's the polycystic 
ovary syndrome and things like that. You, yeah. you know, all these, all these things. Um, what's, what does the future look like? What would you see the future looks like for you? You know, you know, ignoring all this, you know, if this, we didn't have the coronavirus and, uh, you know, what does the future look like for you? I think the future for me, I'm, I don't, I've never had a five-year plan. I've never planned anything in my life. It just yeah. always comes together because I believe that we are supposed to be where we are supposed to be and whatever opportunities come to you will come to you at the right time when you're ready for them. Yeah. So I, I believe in that. And I don't exactly know, I can't say where I will be in five years' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do know that whatever I do, um, I will be leaving this world with, with a legacy, with a, making a difference. Even if, you know, your legacy doesn't have to be something that is huge where you've done millions and thousands of things. It can be anything. Yeah. But I, I want to be able to give back to the world and um, support people. So I don't know what my future is. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, um, you know, whatever the future is, it's, it's going to be bright. Yeah. Um, I've got lots of ambitions and ideas and dreams that I want to do. And I think I'm in a phase at the, mo- at the moment in my life because of the legal proceedings. I can't really go into things much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know that once certain things and certain chapters of my life have closed, I can move on. And it's great to be at a place where now I can make those decisions for myself. Yeah. And not have to consider so much about what will other people think or what will so-and-so feel like. You know, it's really great to be in a place where you're living authentically for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'm lucky. I've got a lovely family who's supportive. I've got lots of fantastic friends around me. And um, I'm at a point now where I'm just reflecting and thinking of what's next. Um, I think for me, I'll always be involved the voluntary sector I'll always be doing something that's like community uh, based training people um, facilitating things I love to teach I love to facilitate things I love um, having those conversations with people so yeah let's just see where the future takes me yeah and what's your your what's your jab jab hook like an uppercut it's bad my uppercut is bad um, <laughs> <laughs> my uppercut is absolutely fantastic like my, my coaches every single one of them is like oh my god you're gonna give me a bruise you're gonna give me a bruise so yeah the uppercut is lethal yeah <laughs> if i'm in the right if, if i'm in the right zone it's just best you move out the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're learning to be a knockout artist then you know what? There's more ways of knocking the people out. You don't just need to use your upper, upper hook, um, <laughs> upper and your hooks and your jabs your and everything jabs, else. There's more ways of wanting to knock people out. <laughs> so I think I'd like to say that I, uh, I, I, I knock out people in the ring and outside the ring. As well. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good. That's a good. That that is a good. That would be a good ending to this podcast. Um, where can you be found? <laughs> where can you be found? So um, you can find me on um, Instagram. Yeah. Um, my handle is I am Wonder Woman. Okay. Dot underscore. Yep. Um, my community group is called Box Smart Knots. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, all the usual places. Um, on Twitter as well. We've got um, I've got my own website, um, which needs updating. Um. It's, a, it's a pretty awful, but um, the website is um, right, and Thank you for coming on. I mean, it's been it's been brilliant listening to you. I mean, I mean, I'm sure I've I've picked up on things that you haven't told other people, and 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 you know, other people haven't heard. And that's what I want from the podcast. I want people to come on and 
open up and speak about you know, their journey and their thoughts and what they're doing and how they're inspiring. And I'm sure you are. You, I mean, I know that you are. You are inspiring people. You know, you've you're wearing. You know, you you know, you're an advocate for women. You're you're wearing a hijab and you're a boxing coach and and you got the gloves on and you and you're knocking people out in inside and outside the ring. So it's been fast. It's been fantastic having you on. No, thank you for having me on, and I absolutely love the name of your podcast. I think literally as soon as I saw the name, I was like, I'm going on this podcast because I've always said men and not. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's get on there. <laughs> so yeah, so thank you for coming on, and you know, like I say, I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, your story is brilliant, and I'd like you to have, have you on again. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, um, maybe we could actually one day meet up and talk in the in the ring. Um, and um, maybe you know, a, you know, boxing gloves. Yeah, that would be good. That'd You'd be have to come good. back to Nottingham for that. Yeah, that w- yeah, we'll do. I will do. Once this thing's over, we'll we'll sort something out. But yeah, we'll we talk in the meantime, and and you know, let's let's get you back on the on 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 the show again, and you know, get your voice out there. Yep. Cool, cool. That'd be great. Just let me know when you when it's the podcast is ready to go out as well I'd like to share it yeah well no well, I, 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 don't think I'm gonna, I don't think I'm going to listen to it because you know everybody hates their own voice don't you? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be like no I'm not listening to this no no like, no really? what, yeah, what, yeah what we'll do is I, what I'll do is I'll just put the music to it and then I'll just send it to you and then we'll we'll take it from there so you know like I say thank you for coming on that no, you're welcome do stay in touch no definitely really nice chop chatting to you and stuff and that was Men Are Nuts speak to you soon Bye-bye.